0: Welcome, welcome to the Foundry, where we are all about a better you and a better world. My name is Seth, and I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Yeah, we made it. Almost. Almost, almost. Uh, Real quick, before we get started, I wanted wanted to say thank you to everybody, to our volunteers, to just... To you guys, uh, our—if you didn't see Hank's video, our updated status on the Angel Tree stuff. Your generosity uh, supported 36 kids, 15 families. You provided 100 plus gifts, uh, and that went to four organizations to be distributed: to Layer Elementary, to Indian Trails Middle School, to Winter Springs Police Department, and to some of our own very fa- uh, foundry families and communities. So, thank you to you guys. That's so very awesome to see your generosity. Um, And, and, you know, in light of what we're trying to do in the community to create a better you and a better world, that is you becoming better and creating a better world. So, thank you to you guys for all of that. So, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Uh, Also, I need to give a big shout out to Mr. Mitchell Dome for preaching last week, who did a great job. I'm so grateful to him. And his heart and his desire to be a part of the team and what we're doing here. Uh, He's a big part of what's happening. So, thank you to Mitchell. Uh, So, we are wrapping up our Christmas series today called A 2020 Christmas. And if you haven't been here, what we've been doing is looking at the difficulties of this year. We've been kind of going back through the list. Here's what we've gone through. Here's the darkness. Here's the heaviness. Um, And then we've been looking simultaneously at the darkness and heaviness of the first century. uh, the difficulties that were surrounding the Christmas narrative, and then going, well, how did they find hope and peace and love and joy in the middle of all that? And maybe that will help us to do the same. So uh, I think I ended maybe in July of last of, of this past year with the bad things. So let's get back into the bad things. The, the highlights of the is it low lights or highlights? I'm not sure if it's bad the low lights all right so we'll go through we'll do a, a couple like into from august up to up right up to december uh, here's a few things and again this isn't the whole list, this isn't comprehensive, this is just a few things because if you go through all of it, I get depressed and then I don't want to preach on Sunday. So it's like minimizing the depression. All right, so uh, August 4th, there were two explosions uh, that were caused by unsafely stored ammonium nitrate that killed over 200 people and injured thousands uh, in Beirut, Lebanon. Damage is estimated at 10 to $15 billion and and 300,000 people uh, are left homeless, August 27th you had Hurricane Laura that hit Louisiana. Here's a picture of some of the devastation of that. I believe uh, it had wind speeds of up to 150 miles an hour which uh, caused it to be the strongest hurricane to hit Louisiana in terms of wind speed. So there's a few folks that are struggling with that. Uh, September 6th, you have a typhoon. It makes landfall in Japan causes widespread um, flooding to occur in Japan and, and South, uh, North Korea. Uh, September 17th, you have the number of confirmed COVID cases passes 30 million people. October 29th, you have the International Organization for um, Migration. Confirms the death of 140 migrants who drowned off the coast of Senegal on a boat towards the uh, Canary Islands. This is the largest shipwreck of 2020. People fleeing for looking for something better because it's not good where they're at. And in the process, lose their lives. Uh, October 30th. You had the Aegean Sea earthquake, magnitude 7.0 on the Richter scale. Uh, hits Turkey and Greece, killing 81 people, injuring nearly 1,000. Uh, That's the same time COVID cases passed 45 million confirmed cases worldwide. The next day, October 31st, typhoon another typhoon makes landfall in the Philippines, becoming the strongest landfalling tropical cyclone in history. Do you notice all these things are like record-breaking? It's not just that they're happening. We know these things happen, but they're all like to a whole different level of happening. Uh, November 4th, you have Hurricane Eta that makes landfall in Nicaragua, killing 100 people in Central America as a Category 4. Two weeks later, you have another hurricane, November 16th. Another Category 4 hits the same area and continues the devastation in Nicaragua. November 25th, you have COVID cases passing 60 million people worldwide. November 20th, or 26th, you have the 2020 Indian Farmers Protest, which is the largest, am I in the way? The largest general strike uh, held across India in response to the recession and austerity measures. Over 200,000 farmers march on New Delhi as a part of the ongoing protest movement. So they're already struggling and then the government passes a few laws that don't help the farmers. And we need the farmers to help get the food. And so it's just a whole mess within a mess within a mess. All right? So, needless to say, 2020 has been a bit of a heavy year. It's been a bit difficult. And as you pile all these things up, I, I thought about going all the way through January and just doing one long one, but then I thought we'd all just cry and that would be no good for anybody. It's been heavy. It's been heavy. Maybe, maybe some of that like uh, inner turmoil you're feeling. Maybe the uncertainty. Maybe the unease. Like, yeah, I I get it. Um, but I have been able to find a little bit of lightness in the middle of the heaviness. And we talked about this last week, last week or two weeks ago, three weeks ago. We showed you the uh, 2020 memes. Right. I found a little bit of lightness in the middle of the darkness through people's creative abilities to express the things we're all feeling. So we looked at the 2020 memes. We, uh, two, a couple weeks ago, we showed you um, when the devil fell in love. Remember that video? Uh, so I want to show you one more that's actually a follow-up to the devil falling in love. And this is um, like the blossoming romance of the devil in the year 2020. Take a look. Oh, I've dated much worse guys than him. Much worse. I mean, at least he's famous. I started by using the Match custom search filter. I filtered out joy, happiness, toilet paper, and reason. Boom. (laughs) Most years I've dated are a little, I don't know, straightforward. I mean, there's a little misery, but nothing truly soul-crushing about them. Mm I just want to be remembered. You know, do you know the poem, The Road Less Traveled by Shakespeare? I actually have the tattoo of it. Don't ask me where. You devil. (laughs) Guilty. (laughs) (laughs) She gets me. That's the best part. When you meet someone that takes time to see beneath the surface. Of the earth. (laughs) It's just a perfect match. He says, I filtered out joy and happiness and toilet paper and reason. (laughs) Like like that is to me the best line. That's exactly what's happening. So although it may be easy for us to look at this year and to get down and frustrated and discouraged or fed up with everything, um, what we have to keep in mind is that, yeah, it's tough. But also when you look at the time surrounding the birth narrative of Jesus, It was not a walk in the park. It was a tough time. It was difficult for the people of God. It was difficult for the people of the world at this time. And so what we've been doing is looking at their darkness in the middle of our darkness and hoping that uh, we can see something that they're going through and understanding their story a little better will help us to give us hope and peace and love and joy in the middle of our story. So, so far, we've discussed some of the brutality of the Roman Empire. We talked about General Pompey. If you remember this, 63 BC, he sieges Jerusalem. Uh, We talked about the ridiculous amount of taxation. We talked about families and people losing their lands. We talked about how Joseph was living two to three day hike from his hometown before the census. Why was he so far away? Did it have to do anything with a search for work or for a job to provide for himself or his family. We talked about the census and how Rome is continuing to expand their empire and how they, they need to continue to support that. We talked about how Herod was in the mix and how Herod is this crazy mixed up person that was like killing his sons, killing his favorite wife, uh, putting people in, uh, wanting to round up all the notables of, Jerusalem, of Israel and then kill them upon his death so that there would be mourning in Israel when the king died. We talked about how Sometimes when it comes to this Christmas story, we want to paint this like, really nice picture and have it nice and neat and clean, and we want ornaments and nativity scenes that are like perfect and simple and beautiful and cute, but how that's not really the story, because even in the story, like, Herod ends up giving this order to slaughter children. That's a part of this narrative, but that makes the story dark and gritty and dirty and scary and all these Things. It's a heavy time. It's a dark time for these people. So let me give you a few more details that will hopefully continue to paint this picture so that it really sinks in. If, if the other stuff hasn't done it enough, we're gonna add to it on some of the darkness and the heaviness. So this is kind of before and after a little surrounding the, the birth of Jesus. Uh, we talked about General Pompey, uh, siege Jerusalem in 63 BC. He had earned the nickname for himself the Teenage Butcher, Because this is the kind of guy he is at a younger age. He was just slaughtering people. Um, But did you also know that Pompey actually built a temple in Rome to the goddess Minerva? And he built this temple to the goddess Minerva using the spoils of war. So he is expanding and conquering things in the name of Rome and he's benefiting off it so much so that he builds a temple, his own temple to this goddess and then they put an inscription on this temple that he built with the spoils of war and this is what it says. Take a look. It says, uh, Gnaeus Pompeius Imperator, having ended 30 years of war, defeated, killed, or subjected 12,183,000 men sunk or captured 846 ships, brought under the Roman protection, (laughs) 1538 towns, fortified settlements, and subjected the lands from the Sea of Azov to the Red Sea, fulfilled his vow to the goddess Minerva according to his merit." So this was inscribed 62 B.C. A year after he sieged Jerusalem, he built this temple. And then this is said about him. 1,500 towns, 12 million people, 846 ships. 1,500 towns, 12 million people got to experience the peace of Rome. Then you have a uh, Greek historian, uh, De- uh, Didorius Seleucius who says this. He says, uh, speaking of Rome, they made the boundaries of the empire equal to the boundaries of the earth and they safeguarded the revenues of the Romans. Continuing to expand, continuing to expand. You have to continue to expand the empire and you take and you collect because you have to feed the beast. Then you have Josephus, he comes along after this, and he says this about what the Romans were up to. He says, some 500 or more were captured daily by the Romans. The Roman soldiers, out of rage and hatred, amused themselves by nailing their prisoners in different postures of crucifixion. And, this is crazy, so great was their number that, the space, uh, that space could not be found for the crosses. Or crosses for the bodies. What are the Roman soldiers like? Well, they're having competitions for who could come up with the most creative way to nail somebody to a cross. And then Josephus says there was so much of this, they didn't have space enough for the crosses, and they had too many bodies for the crosses that they didn't have space for. This is the world that Jesus is born into. Uh, Greek historian uh, Polybius says this, um, he says, it seems to me that they do this for the sake of terror. So he rolls into a town that Rome has just visited and he sees the death and he sees the destruction and he's like, there's no sense to this level and this kind of violence. Like the only reason they would be going to this extreme is just to scare the trash out of everybody. Uh, let me give you a couple more. There's a guy named Cassius. He enslaved 30,000 people in, in, in an area called Magdala. Right? You may have heard of this before. People from Magdala are called the Magdalene's. There's a fairly well-known lady in the Bible called Mary Mary Magdalene. So this would have been happening in areas that Jesus' disciples and people, followers of Jesus, were found, which actually, like, leads to a bunch of other questions. Uh, Many of these disciples are coming out of previously destroyed cities by Rome. Were the disciples aware of what they were getting into when they were signing up for this whole Jesus thing? Like, did they really know what they were getting into, or is this just a response to like oppression and torment. It's like uh, after 9-11, we saw like the people, number of men enlisting people in the, in the military, there was a spike in that. Or even after like something like Pearl, the attack on Pearl Harbor, droves of people go to enlist to fight for their country. What was the disciples' real motivation in some of this? You also have a Roman general named Varus who in the year four crushed a revolt in a town called Sepphoris, Sepphoris is a large Greek city that is approximately three miles from Nazareth, and geographically it sits up at a higher elevation. Uh, in fact, some people note it as a city on a hill. And so uh, there's this revolt, and uh, and Varus comes in, and he kills like he executes and crucifies something like two thousand men, and it's a, and and he's known for his like scorched earth policy, where he's just going to come in and absolutely destroy everything. Varus also had a a revolt that he destroyed everybody in a town called Emmaus. You may be familiar with this. Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, or the disciples were walking, and Jesus appears to them. So it's possible that Jesus is growing up in Nazareth, and he can see from a distance the city on a hill that's being burned to the ground, because it's three miles away uphill, and there's men on crosses and fire everywhere. It's possible that he could see some of this or was aware of it. This is all happening around the birth of Jesus, after the birth of Jesus. This is the world that we're living in. So this is the setting for the first century Jews. It's a dark time. It's a dangerous time, not just in the promised land, but kind of throughout the world. This is the setting. Now, I want you to look at me with, look at me. Look with me. <laughs> look at me. <laughs> I want you to look at me. Um, wake up. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 35. Luke uh, 25. Um, so this is following the birth of Jesus. Joseph and Mary take Jesus, the baby Jesus, to the temple to be dedicated as was the custom. As they're going to the temple, they run into two people. They run into a guy named Simon and a, and a woman named Anna. And I want you to see what they say. I want you to see what Simon says. But before we look at what Simon says... <laughs> First of all, it's not Simon, it's Simeon. Second of all, touch your head. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, Before we look at what Simeon says, I want you to see what it says about Simeon. Okay, so check this out. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, in the Greek text, the word for consolation is the word paraklesis, And paraklesis can be broken down and, and mean some of these things. Solace, help, comfort, salvation, and setting free. He was waiting for the solace, for the comfort, for the salvation, for the setting free of Israel. So, if you think about this for a second... When you consider the heaviness of the time, when you consider all the darkness that we've been talking about, the brutality of the peace of Rome, these extreme uh, enslaving conditions of the ridiculous taxes, the ruthless paranoia of a guy like King Herod, and then on top of that, you have the people of God who don't feel as though they've seen the promises of God fulfilled. What we see in Simeon could be considered this commentary for the collective outlook of the people of God. We're waiting on consolation. We're waiting for help. We're waiting for the salvation, the setting free of our people. Do you see what's happening in the world around us? You see, so to enter into and understand the Christmas story is to join a whole group of people a whole nation of people who are waiting, a whole group of people who are crying out, how much longer, who are wondering, wondering where is God in the middle of this difficulty, who feel as if they can't do anything about the circumstances they find themselves living in. It's almost like their story is our story, isn't it? Maybe it feels like this even more so in a year like 2020 where we have this whole long list of all these things that have gone wrong and how the world is a bit upside down. Anybody feel like they could relate to this stuff this year? God, the world is falling apart. How much longer? Where are you? Please do something. Is this ever going to end? When will, be, when will we be rescued? Where is our consolation? Where is our comfort in the middle of it? It seems like it just keeps getting worse. We feel so powerless. We can't do anything to change any of it. You know, maybe this year, maybe this year we're closer to the Christmas story than we've ever been in any other year. Maybe this year we empathize with the plight of Israel more than we've ever done before in the middle of a 2020 Christmas, in the middle of the devil dating the year. <laughs> now, watch what happens next. Luke 20, uh, 25 and following. So he's waiting on the consolation of Israel. Okay, there we go, verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die, this is Simeon, before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the uh, the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now listen to what he says, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. So Simeon, like the rest of Israel, is waiting on this consolation of Israel He's told that before he dies, he will see the Messiah, the one who will save. The Spirit says, go to the temple and find the child, and he does, and he takes this baby into his arms, and as he's looking into the face of this child, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel. You see, that which they've been waiting for, that which they've all been waiting patiently for, is now among them in flesh and blood. Then this other woman, this woman comes up to him named Anna. Anna has been a widow for a very long time and she's spent the bulk of her 84 years of her life at the temple because she's been a widow and she's spent the bulk of that time worshiping, praising, fasting before God at the temple both day and night. And then it says this about her. Anna comes up to them in a the temple, verse 38. <clears throat> Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. What are they doing? They're waiting. They're looking forward. They're anticipating. And what are they waiting for and looking forward to and anticipating? The consolation, the, parac- the paraclesis, the help, the comfort, the salvation, the setting free of their people. And what are the words that we hear used by both Simeon and Anna? To describe this child, salvation and redemption. Salvation and redemption. This child who Simeon is holding in his arms at the temple is the one who will bring salvation and redemption. And the question is to who? Well, to Jerusalem, to Israel? And what does it say? Even beyond God's chosen people, he will be the light for revelation to the Gentiles. So this child that he's holding in his arms will bring salvation and redemption to all the people. To all the people. And if you remember, before the birth of Jesus... There was this angel that showed up in a field to some shepherds in Luke chapter 2. And what did that angel say to the shepherds? Do not be afraid. I will bring you good news that will cause great joy for who? All the people. All the people. You see, because the good news is that what God does through sending his son is that he will bring salvation and redemption to everyone. Everyone, and when everyone has salvation and redemption, it gives us a good deal of joy. So, uh, I grew up playing soccer almost my whole life, from the time I was about five all the way through college. No, I didn't play on scholarship. I wasn't that good. It was a Bible college. Cut me some slack. But I played for a long time. I have a lot of great memories from playing soccer. I have a lot of uh, handful of not-so-great memories from playing soccer. Um, I played on some OK teams. I played on some really bad teams. Uh, my dad coached some of them. I won't tell you which ones they were, good or bad. But I did get to start every game. That's the benefit of your dad being the coach, even if you're not good. Um, <laughs> uh, one, I had this very distinct memory of playing soccer. From like one of my very first soccer teams. It was like U6, right? This is five years old, and this is a memory that I have. Out of all these years, this one stands out. Five years old, the team was called the Crusaders. Go, Crusaders. We had orange jerseys with black shorts and orange socks, and I was about this tall, and I was pretty good. And so our coach's name was Miss Blythe, and she was a gruff old lady, but I think I was her favorite, whether I wasn't or was or wasn't, I'm not sure, but I think I was, I'd like to think I was. So there was one particular game and, uh, on the Crusaders, and we were playing, and little five-year-old Seth was running around the field just enjoying his time, probably scoring lots of goals, you know, all kinds of fun stuff. But somebody kicked a ball at warp speed, and it hit me in the face. And it was a big deal. It was a big deal. I'm pretty sure my nose was bleeding. I probably didn't cry because I'm super tough. <laughs> but I remember some details about this. But then some of it's a bit fuzzy, probably because I was concussed because I was playing like a 35-year-old who blasted me in the face with the ball. But I, I, don't, I don't remember like get, having the ability to like dust myself off and collect myself and get back in the game. What I remember was that once I got hit in the face and was like on the ground is that my mom came sprinting across the field in the middle of the game to rescue me. And I mean, it's a bit embarrassing, you know, if you're like a big shot five-year-old soccer player, that's kind of embarrassing, mom, get off the field. But in my head, when my mom came running across the field in the middle of the game, it was in slow motion. And so she was like, sprinting across the field and then the kids would get in the way and she'd pick them up and launch them and then the referee was staying there and she went by in slow motion and punched the ref in the face like this because she was so angry that her little boy got hurt you know what I'm saying like and I just remember she came sprinting across the field to make sure that I was okay and other than being embarrassed and now humiliated I was fine thanks mom for that for taking care of me um Here's the thing. As a mother, as a parent, if you have children, when your children are hurt or in pain or there is some sort of suffering, what do you do? You go to them, don't you? You run to them, you hug them, you pick them up, you dust them off, you kiss them. Sometimes it means you may even have to sit in the emergency room with them. Sometimes you may have to sit at the bedside at the hospital and just hold their hand. And you want them to know that you are there and you are there to love them and to comfort them. You want to do your very best in those moments to console and bring them comfort. Because that's what love does, doesn't it? Love always moves towards the pain. Love always moves towards the hurt and towards the suffering. Love never runs away from the hurt. It always moves into it. It steps into the middle of the pain to bring comfort to those who you love who are suffering. Love... Runs across the soccer field in the middle of the game to be with her child. This is the Christmas story that love steps into the middle of the hurt and the suffering to be with her children, to bring comfort salvation, and redemption to all the people. In week one, we talked about how the people are looking for God to take care of and deal with the externals, the difficulty of the externals. God just fixed this. And how in sending his son, he still tells Mary, I'm going to give you a son. He will be the son of the most high, right? The one who would take away the sins of the people. And so rather than God just fixing the externals, God does this whole other thing in which he takes care of that which is eternal. And then in week two, we talked about how still the people are looking for God to deal with the difficulties of the external, which we can relate with because it's 2020, and how God does this thing. There's this Old Testament prophecy that says, I'm gonna send this, this, this one to like help, and we're gonna call him the Prince of Peace. And so we talked about how in God doing this, he doesn't just fix the problems of the external right away. What he does is he gives us a way that deals with that which is internal so that we can have peace in the middle of the uncertainty, so that we can have hope in the middle of the chaos. And so maybe this week, maybe this week the idea is that God's people are still looking for the externals to be dealt with. Maybe we can relate this year. But what God does in his plan through sending his son, what God's plan is, it's incarnational. That God gifts God's self to us in the form of this baby. Because that's what love does. It always moves towards the hurt and the pain. The people are crying out, God, do something about this. And God runs across the soccer field in the middle of the game. Look at what says, uh, how John talks about this in John chapter 1, verse 14. He's introducing us to to Jesus, to the Christ. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And I love the way the, uh, the message says this. This is one of my favorites. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. You see, this story is about the moment that the divine becomes tangible. It's through the incarnation, through the becoming of flesh, that God steps into the middle of the hurt and pain to be with his children his children who are waiting, as Luke says in the story of Simeon, who are waiting on the consolation of Israel. And it's through this flesh and blood that God offers this consolation, that God brings salvation and redemption to all the people. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood in order that we might have comfort in the middle of the difficulties of the external. Because that's what love does. Love runs across the soccer field in the middle of the game to comfort her children. Love moves into the neighborhood in the middle of the Roman oppression, in the middle of this ridiculous taxation, in the middle of the effects of a tyrant king, in the middle of a people who feel powerless to change anything. Love moves into the neighborhood to comfort his children, all of them. See, to me, this is the beauty and the power of the Christmas story that no matter what's happening in the world around us, no matter what century we find ourselves living in, the first century, the 21st century, in this world you will have problems, you will have troubles. We know this. We understand this. But love has come to us in the middle of the mess to bring us comfort. Love has come to us in the middle of the uncertainty to bring us salvation and redemption. Love has come to us in the middle of the chaos so that through him there might be hope, there might be peace, there might be joy, and that we may know love. My hope and my prayer for you is that in this 2020 Christmas, in whatever the next year may hold, you will know that no matter the difficulties of the external that love has come for all and that love has come for you you know what's really cool is that each and every week we get to take this time and celebrate the death burial and resurrection We do this through this act that we call communion where we take this little bread and we take this little juice that represents the body and the blood of jesus but isn't this meal isn't this meal the sign of the love that has come for us isn't this meal this tangible expression this tangible thing that we get to experience that reminds us that even sometimes when we're going through the difficulties and we feel like we're alone or we feel like we don't know, that he's come, that he's come and he's given this sacrifice and he's done this thing to let you know, to show you how great his love for you is so we've got the communion we're going to pass it out we ask that you put your mask on as they begin to pass then once they pass it you take the bread and the juice you partake of it at your own rate at your own speed we want you to take this time to remember that love has come for all the people that love has come for you that God so loved the world that he sent his son for you so we remember this we give thanks for this As we enter, as we wrap up, as we move into this Christmas ending of the season, as we get to Christmas, I don't know, we remember that the whole thing is about love coming to be with us. It's moved into the neighborhood because that's what love does.